0: Amen. Turning your Bibles to Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. I'll be reading from the New King James Version of the Bible. That's the, uh, that's the version that you have on the back of your pews. Also, that's what we'll have behind us uh, right here. So when you get to Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, say praise the Lord. Okay, all righty. You ready? We're going to be speaking today on the second in a two in a four part series on the Acts of Westward, the action of Westward. Our our premise is if they were to write a history like the Book of Acts on Westward Church of God, how would it read? That's the question we need to be asking ourselves, and we're looking back to the church in the Book of Acts to see what kind of church we ought to be, what kind of church that we should be. And uh, last week we talked about that it was a getting church, that there was a call from God to seek Him. And we posited the idea that in order for us to give, we must have first received. And my, didn't we receive a blessing last Sunday morning? Didn't the Lord Move in our midst. Did you feel the power and presence of the Lord in our altar service last Sunday morning? And what a great time that we had. Now, what do we do about that is the thing. And how do we respond to that? How do we live that out? A life-changing moment is only life-changing if your life changes. I want to say that again because I wanted to seek in. A life-changing moment was really only a life-changing moment if your life changes. If you go back to the way life was before, it may have been a powerful moment, it may have been an inspirational moment, it may have been a, 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 a memorable moment, but it wasn't life changing unless life changes. And one of the things about that, it doesn't take anything away from that moment. It's the commitment that I bring out of that moment that determines how that moment affected me. And so we had a great service uh, last Sunday, and like the church in the book of Acts that experienced that great outpouring of the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost, now we're reading what they did about it. And so that church that had answered the call, a call to seek, that church that had been involved in receiving and getting that blessing from God, Now they became a giving church, and that involves a commitment to serve. And so let's read together how they behaved, starting in verse 2. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. And so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. We're talking about giving a commitment to serve. Father, in the precious and holy name of Jesus, we pray that you'd add your uh, fire of the Holy Spirit to this service and sermon today, that we would be able to experience you and that we would be changed by your word. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise for his word. The church, I believe, was conceived in the shadow of Mount Hermon where Jesus said in response to Peter's revelation, upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But the church drew its first breath on another mountain, on Mount Zion, in an upper room that we call Pentecost. It was on the day of Pentecost. And the church was birthed in fire. It was birthed in glory. There was a blaze of glory. There came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And divided tongues of fire set upon each of them. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. There was a wind from heaven, a fire falling from heaven. And that private service, 120 in an upper room, the same place, that Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, 120 in the upper room, that private service became a public spectacle. They got out from the upper room. It was noised abroad. And the world saw that what was happening. And that public spectacle led to a powerful sermon Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. And that powerful sermon resulted in a plenteous salvation, three Thousand were saved that day. But what about when that experience was over? That was a great day. It was a a seminal day in church history. It's wonderful. I like to look back on the day that my children were born. It's a wonderful day my children were born. You know, you hold your children uh, in your arms and they're newborn and every time that they yawn, every time that they stretch, Every time that they giggle, forgive me for this, but every time they toot. It's just all, it's just magical. Everything they do is magical. I have to say, my 17-year-old son, has lost his magic when he does some of those things. But what if on the day of their birth, that's, you know, look back at those baby pictures. What if after that, I just, you know, just kind of put them in a closet, left them alone. It's a great day, but it was, it, it was the start of their life. It wasn't the culmination, it was the start. That great day of Pentecost was the start of what God was doing with the church. It wasn't the end of it. It was the beginning of it. And so what did they do then? How did they act then? That life-changing moment was life-changing. It changed the way that they lived. And there's an old saying that the proof of the pudding is in the eating. It can look good, but how does it taste? And so how does our relationship with God influence how we live? Not only personally, individually, but collectively. And Luke gives in Luke chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, he does this along and along throughout the Gospel of Acts. He gives a status update on the church. He gives us a glimpse of how they were living right after Pentecost. And the Bible says certain things as uh, as they lived as a result of that powerful Pentecostal blessing. The first thing that we know about them is they were a learning church. That they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. I like the way one Bible writer says this, uh, he interprets it this way. It says, they persevered in the apostles' teaching. I like that, they persevered. So all of you sometimes when I get through preaching say, well, we had to persevere through that one this morning. Well, good, you're being biblical. (laughs) It's not always, can I say this to you, biblical teaching, biblical preaching isn't always going to be inspirational. It's not always going to stand us on our head. Sometimes the greatest work that the Holy Spirit's doing is when we're learning and the Holy Spirit is doing something on the inside of us. Now as Pentecostals, we think if every sermon they're not swinging from the rafters, we haven't accomplished anything. But I'm going to tell you, I've been in a lot of services and among a lot of sermons that excited me in the moment, but when I got through, I couldn't tell you a whole lot of what they said. He said, we had a great service this morning. He said, Oh, what did the pastor preach on? I don't know, but he sweated a lot. It was was good. I believe in spirited preaching. I wish Bible was more spirited. I wish the response to it was more spirited. Maybe A equals B. I don't know. But I will tell you this that there's some continuing steadfastly that has to go on. And you're not going to get everything that you need from God in one sermon. Everything that needs to be accomplished in our lives and in our church is not going to happen as the result of one sermon. There's a cumulative effect of the preaching and the teaching that goes on in the church. What you learn in Sunday school, what the children learn in children's church, what we do on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, all of those things are a cumulative effect. The Word of God becomes engrafted to you. It's not I heard a message and got a, a tweetable uh, idea out of it. I'm going to tell you the gospel is not contained in just 120 characters. You know, when we were coming up, there was bumper sticker religion, honk if you love Jesus. Then there was t-shirt religion, WWJD. Then there's these little bracelets that, that, the, that the young kids wear. And now there's tweetable religion. You know, They just live off of tweets. The younger people do. Older people live off of Facebook. There's more to that involved. There's a continuing steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, spending time together and in the breaking of the bread and spending time around the table of the Lord and in prayers. There's some praying that has to do. I'm going to tell you, uh, when I was just a kid, We experienced during the Carter administration, we experienced a a shortage in gasoline. Anybody remember that? The long gasoline lines and all of those kinds of things. I'm going to tell you, we are desperately on the precipice in the church of a shortage on prayer warriors. We had a generation that knew how to pray that are going on. Those people that have propped me up in my life through their prayers, they're going on. I'm going to have to learn how to do some of my own praying. So they continued in that. They were learning, and then they were a leaning church. Fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. They leaned upon the Holy Ghost of God. You and I have both known churches that they did that first part. They were a learning church. They had come to church and they'd have their Bibles open and they'd take notes and all of that kind of stuff But it was all just from the neck up. But I'm going to tell you, it has to be more than just learning about what this book says. It's about experiencing what this book is, and it's about the same one that wrote the book, the Holy Ghost of God, living in us and living through us. Jesus did not say, When I'm gone, you'll read the Bible and try your best to apply it. Jesus said, When I'm gone, there's another teacher that's going to come who is the Holy Ghost of God, and he will will lead you and guide you into all truth. And so they were a church that not only was rooted and grounded in Scripture, but they were a church that were depending upon the Holy Ghost of God to do what they could not do. And the supernatural is the natural state of the church. In fact, you take the presence of the Holy Ghost out of the church and you don't even have a church. What you just got a, is a, a club, a group of like minded people. But where it's the church, it's the power of the Holy Ghost. Now, somebody say, Well, I don't know if I believe in all of that. Well, let me tell you this if you're saved, you were saved by a work of the Holy Ghost. Right? So, why do we shy away from His work? So, they were a leaning church, and then they were a living church. Now, all who believed were together. Isn't that a wonderful word? Together. And they had all things in common. Now, the idea of all things in common, that word common is the word uh, koinos. And it's, it's the kind of fellowship in the Bible that's called koinonia. And the New Testament was written in what they call koine Greek. And what koine Greek is, is it was common Greek. It was not written in classical Greek. It wasn't written in the same way that Aristotle wrote or Socrates wrote. It was written in everyday common or vulgar Greek. Not vulgar in the sense of profane, but vulgar in the sense of it was common because the Lord wanted people to be able to read and understand his word. That's one of the reasons that I've never understood the, 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 uh, uh, the venom that comes out with some people about Uh, newer translations of the scripture. They don't realize that when the King James was translated in 1611, it was translated not in in Elizabethan language to make it hard to understand. That was the language they were speaking then. And that's why they wrote it in that. They were trying to get it down to the language of the common people. You know, for the first, uh, uh, for a thousand years from about 400 A.D. to 1400 A.D., You had to know Latin, which was a dead language. And only priests could read it. Common people couldn't read it. There were people that bled and died in prison to try to get the language translated into common language. I don't understand why people get so up in the air when there's still ongoing efforts as our language continues to evolve and change that people are going back to the scripture and trying to be faithful to the writer's intent but putting it in language that people understand. That's not a bad thing. It's a good thing when people can read God's word and understand it. We're not trying to make it hard. We're trying to make it easy. Amen or oh me, I'm, trying, I'm telling you the truth. So it was written in ordinary Greek, common Greek. And common is defined in English as showing a lack of taste or refinement or vulgar. That's the way some people feel about us Christians. They think think we're unsophisticated. That's all right. I see how sophisticated people live. I'm glad I'm not one of them. (laughs) But it also says something that is occurring, found, or done often, prevalent, usual, or ordinary, and then here's our real definition, shared by, coming from, or done by more than one. In other words, here's what it means, they had everything in common, it means that they did life together. You, you look at my parents, a lot of you so kind, and the kind things you say about uh, my mom and dad and and, uh, you know, they, they, they're doing all right. Of course, you know, I've pastored them a large part of their later years, so that's why they're doing so good. But, but they, uh, I mean, they, they're godly people, and I thank God for them. But when, when, and you've heard me say this before, but when I was growing up, we didn't go to church. We didn't attend church. We were part of a church. Oh, we did go, we did attend, but we didn't just go, we didn't just attend. We were part of the church. There's a difference. And God wants us to be a part of a church. He wants us to do life together. Acts 4.32 describes this. It says the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. If I've got it and you need it, you can have it. Because they did life together. Acts 45 says they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. Now this message could easily be called a commitment to share instead of a commitment to to serve. But the fact of the matter is is that you can't share without serving and you can't serve without sharing. Jesus said, let the greatest among you be the servant of all. Now this where they divided all things equally among one another, sold things and had all things common. This was not communism as we know Marxist communism to be. It was not communism but it was communalism. They did share everything. They sold their possessions and they lived together. But I want you to understand something about this particular time in the scripture. We're not gonna spend a lot of time on this, but it's important for you to realize because some of you are thinking, oh no, I gotta sell my house, give it to the church. First of all, this was situational. This was for a particular time in the life of the church those people had come from all over the world for Passover Jews that lived in different parts of the world had come home to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover and then they stayed around Passover uh, after Passover they stayed 50 days to the feast of Pentecost and then they were going to go back home but the Holy Ghost interrupted their deal the Holy Ghost came And when they got saved, they wanted to stay where the Spirit was moving. That happens often in our services. Sometimes when you at the end of a Sunday night service and you're ready to go and you're hungry and that kind of stuff and you're waiting for people to quit talking so you blink the light so they can leave. I don't look at that and say, boy, I wish that crowd would hush. I look at that and say, isn't that wonderful that our people want to stick around an atmosphere that is fertile and fruitful? You have an old dry, dead service. People run over each other, stampede and try to get out the door. But you have a service like we had last Sunday morning. People will stick around. And, you know, already we got out at about a quarter to one. Nobody said, boy, it went too long this Sunday. They're still talking, just just wanted to just bask in the afterglow of the presence of the Lord. They wanted to stay where the Spirit of the Lord was. And so you got people from all over the world that, They don't have connections. They don't have livelihoods. It was necessary. It was situational. And next, it was spontaneous. Not just spontaneous in the sense of off the cuff, but here's what spontaneous means. Performed or occurring as a result of a sudden inner impulse or inclination and without premeditation or external stimulus. Here's the synonyms, unforced, voluntary, unconstrained, unprompted, unbidden, unsolicited, unplanned, unpremeditated, unrehearsed. In other words, God didn't tell them, thou shalt sell everything you have and have all things common. It was not God's command. The apostles didn't say, you know what, we need to sell, you need to sell. It's not like some kind of cult leader says you need to sign your property over to us. It wasn't a get-rich-quick scheme by the 12 apostles. This was something people did out of their own impulse. I've been in services where the Spirit of God was moving and people start taking out money and bringing it to the altar and throwing it on the altar. I heard what one service. Somebody told me where Vestal Goodman preached. And they said that she preached hell so hot that one guy got up and came and put his packet of certs on the altar. He said, I just wanted to give up something for Jesus. <laughs> People respond to giving. William Barclay said this, real Christians cannot bear to have too much when others have too little. John said in 1 John three seventeen, whoever has this world's good sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him or his bowels of compassion. How does the love of God abide in him? This was spontaneous. They wanted to do it. God doesn't call on us to do that. He does call on us to be willing to do that. He does call on us to be willing to help those that are in need. And I'm going to tell you, uh, just like any other group of people, I could stand up here this morning and list some areas that we as West Ward Church of God could do better, could improve, should change, all of those kinds of things. But I can tell you one thing about West Ward Church of God. I've seen time and time again when one of our own was in trouble, people will dig deep down into their pocket and do whatever they can do to help one of their own. That's the love of God in action. There was a guy by the name of, of, uh, of, of Joseph. And, uh, and, and Joseph, he, he and his probably his sister-in-law owned the house, maybe sister owned the house uh, where the Lord, the, the uh, upper room was. And he got, he got so full of the Holy Ghost, he sold his property and gave it to the apostles, laid it at their feet. They gave him another name which meant son of Consolation Barnabas. Well, there was an, another group in the church, a, a man and a wife, Ananias and Sapphire, and they saw that he was getting good press. They saw that people were bragging on him, patting him on the back because of his generosity. And they said, we ought to do the same thing. But then they talked to each other and they said, hey, uh, let's sell that uh, field that we've got, but let's, let's keep half of it and let's give the other half to the church. And that way we'll get credit for being generous, but we still won't be out all of our money. And the Holy Ghost revealed that to Apostle Peter. He called in Ananias, and Ananias lied to the Holy Ghost, and the Lord struck him dead. And then Peter gave the opportunity for Sapphira, his wife, to come clean, and she lied as well, and the Lord struck her dead as well. Did he strike them dead because they didn't give all of the money? No, no. Peter said that that was your property to do with what you wanted to do with it. Nobody asked you to give it. But the fact that you conspired to lie to the Holy Ghost of God, God judges that. There's a strange thing that happens sometimes among religious people is we get caught up with what others think about us instead of what the Lord knows about us. We don't do our alms for men. Isn't it strange? Isn't it strange that people will lie and, 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 and cut and gossip and steal and, 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 and do all of those things just so other people can pat them on the back? I'm always amazed when I come up and people that I know are doing something that they don't think's right and they look around and see me and they're embarrassed. Right? God hears what you say. I remember the story of the man that was out fishing, you know, out behind his house, and he reached around in the cooler, and he got out a cold one, a beer, and he he cracked it open, and he started drinking. He turned around and didn't know his pastor had come up right there. He said, Preacher, I wouldn't have had you see me do that for nothing in the world. He said, Well, God saw you the whole time. He said, Yeah, but he ain't going to tell nobody. What does it matter what other people in this room think about you? What does it matter what the pastor thinks about you? It's God that's looking at you. If you'll please God, that'll be good enough for everybody else. Don't do things just to be seen of men. Paul says, though, that we can. We can sell all we have and give it to the poor. We can even give our own body to be burned. But if we don't have the right motivation, if we don't have love, It's just a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. It's spontaneous loving giving and it was spiritual. It was a spiritual thing that was going on. That physical offering was out of that spiritual desire. And listen at the spiritual and I'm trying to to move on but the spiritual can fade into and give way to prejudice and self-interest. It can deteriorate. I want to show you a quick video. We don't have a lot of time, but I want to show you a quick video of uh, what our sharing looks like sometime. Roll that beautiful bean footage right, right quick. You know, that's, that's the reason that, that Marxist communism socialism and that kind of stuff never works is because somebody's half is always the bigger half. And that can happen in the church. It can happen in the church that we have somebody that's been coming for a few weeks and they have something going on in their life and we try to respond. But people don't respond the same way they respond when it's somebody that grew up here. If it's somebody that grew up here, boy, we want to put on the dog. We want to make sure it's the finest and the nicest. But if it's somebody that's been coming a couple of months, we say, well, you know, we can go along and get along. That's not what love does. Love goes above and beyond. This happened in the early church. They were sharing all things in common. But as they were distributing, there were widows that were from Jerusalem and from Israel from the Holy Land and those widows that were from other parts of the world they got a share but they didn't get as much they didn't get the lion's share they didn't get the choice cuts of meat they got less they came to Peter about it and Peter said listen my job is not to wait tables my job is to preach the word of God to you and that's that's more important you pick out seven men listen to this These were men that were gonna be over distributing and he said, but you gotta make sure that's not a job for somebody that doesn't have the Holy Ghost. You need to make sure they're full of wisdom and full of the Holy Ghost. Let me tell you, we don't need to be flipping hamburgers unless we're full of the Holy Ghost. We don't need to be boiling weenies unless we're full of the Holy Ghost. Some of the menial tasks around the church are not menial if we're filled with the Spirit of God. That's how you got deacons in the church is because of the need to serve and to share. And then it was a loving church. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God. They were a loving church, loving God, loving one another. And the Bible says they did it in one accord. If you were to pull one word from the early part of the book of Acts that describes it, one accord is that word. Those two words, one accord. Acts 1.14 uses it after Jesus ascended they were together in one accord. Acts 2.1, when the Holy Ghost came, they were in the upper room in one accord. Acts 2.46, which is in our text, it says they were in one accord. One a translation, the ERV, says they had a common purpose. In Acts 4.24, when Peter and John healed the lame man, they got, they, when they heard the testimony and rejoiced of what God had done, they were in one accord. Acts 5 and 12, they met in the temple in a place called Solomon's Porch, and they were in one accord. The word is humo fumadon, and it's used 12 times in the Bible, 11 times in the book of Acts, and here's what it literally means. One accord. They're of the same passion. Doesn't mean that they just agree on doctrine. It does, they do, but it doesn't mean they, that they just are all dedicated to the same cause. They're all passionate about the same cause. Romans 15, 5 and 6 Uses it, now may the God of patient and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Jesus that you may be with one mind and one mouth. Glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus. One mind and one mouth. Preaching the same thing, believing the same thing, loving the same way. Now a lot of people think that the unity of the church is a passive thing. It's not a passive thing, it's a passionate thing. There's some fire about it. In fact, this word passion can even be translated wrath, anger, indignation. It's something that that makes you breathe hard. It's something that, uh, that gets your blood up. It's something that stirs you. If we're passive about the work of the Lord, let me tell you what the New Testament calls that passivity, lukewarmness. Being passive about God's work is to be lukewarm. And the Bible says that we shouldn't just have, and I know, Lord, boy, we could spend the morning going down the list of the great heritage of this church of individuals that were passionate about God. And we celebrate them and honor them. But I'm going to tell you, that shouldn't be a select few. That should be what the church is, that we are all of one passion, that we are all passionate about the Lord Jesus Christ. And can I tell you that, that, uh, that life like that attracts people? So they were also a church that was lighting the way. They were praising God, having favor with all the people. They got along with people in society. It was not said of them when they went to a restaurant, Christians complained the most and tipped the least. That would not have been said of them. It wouldn't have been said of them, boy, if you do business, don't do business with a preacher. Don't do business with church folks. They'll beat you out of it. Don't do business with them. They'll expect something for nothing. They always come with their hat in their hand. I'm not trying to be critical because I know people worked and labored for the Lord and I'm not trying to criticize them. But there was a time in the history of Pentecostal churches where we would go out soliciting. And people would go out into the junk joints and the honky tonks and the bars and the businesses around town asking them to contribute to the church and maybe that's okay but I wondered if they'd go in those same places to try to give them the gospel of God I don't want to be harsh with this but I'm going to tell you something if we will sell a raffle ticket or a chicken dinner to somebody to raise money for us to remodel something around this church and we are not willing to talk to that same person about their salvation, I'm gonna tell you, we need a realignment of our priorities. amen. Amen, amen, amen. We need a realignment. They were lighting their way. They were praising God and having favor with all the people and as a result, the Lord added daily to the church those that were being saved. Life like that attracts people. Now look, there is a holiness that is off-putting to people. A self-righteousness that causes people to shy away. But there is a holiness that's pure, but it's lovely. That's the way Jesus' holiness was. The holiness of Jesus never ran off the prostitutes and the alcoholics and the drunks. Now, the religious people didn't like him too good, but the lost people loved him. Here's what the psalmist said in Psalm 133. Behold how good and pleasant it is for God's people to dwell together in unity. It's like the precious ointment that ran down the beard of Aaron running down into the skirts of his garments. It's like the dew of Mount Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion, for the Lord commanded uh, the blessing, even life, for evermore. Isn't it a shame around South Georgia that you can visit a lot of people that are nowhere to be seen in church, and if you go back far enough and visit with them, they'll tell you they got church hurt? Isn't that the most awful word you've ever heard? Church hurt? And I know there are people that look for offense, and I know there are people that are thin-skinned, and I know there are people that get offended where there shouldn't be any offense. I know that, but I also know there's a lot of people that claim the name of Jesus that are just downright, sorry, mean. Mean. Mean Mean-spirited. And look, we don't all bat a thousand. No, we don't all bat a thousand and we're human. But I'm gonna tell you, if we're ever mean, we ought to be man or woman enough to go to somebody and say, I'm sorry I acted like that. Forgive me and I love you. We've gotta be God's people. We've gotta deal together. And it hurts more when it's a brother or sister in the Lord because the expectation is more. David said, I could have handed I could have handled betrayal from anybody, but it was the one that would walk with me to the house of God that betrayed me. Oh, it just hurts more. John 13, 35, Jesus said, by by this all men will know you're my disciples. If y'all speak in tongues, I know you got it on the screen, so I know you know that's not right. Y'all speaking to you, if y'all believe the same doctrine. If y'all sing the same style of songs, all men will know you're my disciples if you have love one for another. Love is the earmark of the Christian. The Roman Emperor Hadrian sent one of his advisors, Aristides. He sent him to spy out Christians. They were such a force and such a movement in the early centuries. Uh, AD, that he got to find out what they were all about. And Aristides didn't understand, he wasn't spiritually minded and he kind of had a mixed report, but there was one statement that he made that has thundered down through the centuries. Behold how they love one another. The story is told that the Apostle John, who was the only one of the apostles to die, a natural death. He had been boiled in oil and it didn't kill him. He had been exiled to Patmos. That's where he received the revelation that is our book of revelation. But when he was rescued from Patmos and brought back to Ephesus, he was an old, old man. And they would bring him to church and everybody would clamor around him. He was the last one that had beheld the glory of the only begotten Son of God. And they would clamor around to hear what he had to say. Oh, how they loved to hear his memories. To hear about him rebuking the storm and walking on the water. John had seen it all. So they cut their ears to hear the whisper of the gravely-voiced old man And the last time he was with them, he whispered out something, and they wanted to hear what his last words would be. And these were his words. Little children love one another. That's the fellowship that we have, that desire to serve. The Contemporary English Version takes our text and simplifies it, and I want you to hear it. This is what the early church did. They spent their time learning from the apostles and they were like family to each other. They also broke bread and prayed together. Everyone was amazed by the many miracles and wonders that the apostles worked. All the Lord's followers often met together and they shared everything they had. They would sell their property and possessions and give the money to whoever needed it. Day after day, they met together in the temple. They broke bread together in different homes and shared their food happily and freely while praising God. Everyone liked them and each day the Lord added to their group others who were being saved. I want you to stand and in just a moment we're going to do something totally different unlike anything I guess that we've ever done. The Corinthian church was a church that the Apostle Paul said, he said to them, you don't fall behind in any spiritual gift. If you wanted to shout, if you wanted to dance, the Corinthian church was the church for you. If you wanted a word of wisdom, a word of prophecy, if you wanted a a message in tongues, an interpretation of tongues, If you wanted to have a good old hairpin slinging Holy Ghost fit, the Corinthian church was the church for you. But the Apostle Paul had to write to them because when they'd get together and they'd have dinner on the grounds, each family would bring their own stuff and they wouldn't share. So the wealthy families would eat filet mignon while the poor families would eat pork and beans and there was a line of demarcation between the haves and the have nots and when they would celebrate the Lord's table they were in such a rush to get there they would trample over one another to get there push each other out of the way I remember the first night we were here Jan you know the story I'm going to tell I think it was maybe the last time that y'all let me go first and uh, it was my first Wednesday night and they said you know, we decided we were going to have a meet and greet so I think it was probably Jan said y'all come on, the pastor come on first his family come on first so we handed the plate to Cameron he was cute back then about 7 years old and so he got the plate and Gigi bless her heart Mary Helen, she just knew it was some youngin' cutting in the way of the preacher. So she just popped his hand. (laughs) And somebody said, that's the preacher's son. She said, ooh. (laughs) And we always had a good laugh about that. Can you imagine this church that was so full of the power of the Holy Ghost and so selfish? that they would push each other out of the way to get to the Lord's table. That's why the Apostle Paul said, when you partake of the body and the blood, tarry one for another. You know, when I was growing up, I thought that meant half the church prayed while the other half did communion. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, wait, wait your turn. And here's what he told them. He said, Now, look, just like that bread is one loaf, when you celebrate communion, which is the same root as community, which is a, comes from common union, and our common union with God, what we have in common with God is the body of God and the blood of the Lord Jesus so when we celebrate this we celebrate in what we have in common with God and that's Jesus he was God and man and he bridged that gap but Paul said just like that bread's all one loaf when you celebrate and tear that bread apart and pass it out you need to remember you're all part of the same body that what you have in common with each other is the body and the blood of the Lord I'm going to pray and at the end of this prayer I'm going to ask every Christian to come down to this altar. What we're going to do is we're going to have a young person standing on each corner no matter what direction you come, two on the inside, two on on each side and one on each outside and they're going to have some uh, hand sanitizer and uh, we're doing that for your safety and also you'd feel good about this. And then when you get that hand sanitizer, we're going to raise our hands and worship the Lord to let the hand sanitizer dry. Right? And then we're going to take this loaf and we're going to start tearing it and passing it to one another and sharing it one to another. You say, somebody else is going to handle what I eat? Yeah, that's why we're doing the hand sanitizer. And don't worry, we're not going to all drink out of the same cup. What we're going to do after we get that, we're going to... One by one or family by family, we're going to come and just dip that bread just ever so gently into that cup and and we'll partake of 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 the communion that way together. Now listen, I want you to have something in common with me, but more importantly, I want you to have something in common with the Lord today. So if you don't know the Lord as your Savior, what this represents is what you can have in common with the Lord. You can know Him today. Because Jesus' body was broken and his blood was shed so that you could be saved. So, we're going to pray for you first and then we're going to have you come just very orderly as they sing, okay? Bow your heads. I'm going to ask the whole congregation to pray this with me today. Pray it aloud. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I know that I've sinned, I know that I've done wrong. I'm asking you to forgive me. I'm asking you to come into my heart. Be my Savior and my Lord. I confess you as my Savior. I confess you as my Lord. And I thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as every head is bowed, eyes are closed. If you prayed that for the first time today, I want you to lift your hand. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now, if you were here today and you've known the Lord, but you had drifted away from Him, and today you've come back home to the Lord, I want you to lift your hand. Praise God for this one. Praise God for this one. Praise the Lord. We've had people, Ray, look at me. We've had people raise their hands that they came home to the Lord today, that God has restored them and saved them. Would you give the Lord a hand clap of praise for that? Amen. Dad, come right here. Come right here. Turn around. This man right here, I'm asking you, if you prayed for the Lord to save you today or if you came home to the Lord after service, I want you to get with him. He's gonna get your name and your number and he already knows some of you and he's gonna work with you and help us stay in touch with you, okay? Now look at me. If you've been washed in the blood of Jesus and it doesn't matter if it was 50 years ago or 50 seconds ago, If you've been washed in the blood of Jesus, you're now worthy to partake of this. And I'm going to ask you to come. We're not going to tarry long, but I'm going to ask you to come. As you walk by, they're going to give you a little bit of hand sanitizer. Just come right down this aisle, right up the middle aisle. Just come right on. Just gather around the front. You may have to gather down the aisle. If you will, just go ahead and get some of that bread. Start sharing it with one another. Just let people begin to tear you off a piece. Pass it to somebody else. Go ahead. That's right. Just go ahead and get a piece of that loaf. Tear you off some and pass it to the next person. That's right. It doesn't take much. In just a moment, we're going to let you have an opportunity to dip it in the cup one by one. on up. That's right. Come on up. Great. Great. Boy, y'all are doing so good. Just share it with one another. That's right. Just, Just go ahead and take that bread with you and begin to pass it through. Just go ahead and take it and begin to pass it. That's right. What a great job. Praise the Lord oh you're doing so good doing so good because we're doing this individually and and you some of you are already dipping but you can also wait until we pray however you'd like to do that but I want to pray over you I want to talk to you about this and we're going to celebrate this together In the same night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and when he had broken it, he said, This bread is my body, which is broken for you. And then he also took the cup with the wine, red in the glass, in the cup, and he said, This cup is the new covenant with God in my blood, which is shed for many. And he said, as often as you eat that bread and you drink that cup, you show forth the Lord's death till he comes. Now, one by one, you can begin, and maybe you've already partaken of it. If you have it, go ahead and dip that in there. That you may partake of the bread and the cup. Hallelujah. I was lost, now I am found. I was blind, now all I see. After you partake, oh, just Jesus, lift your hands and begin to thank Jesus God. Jesus is my testimony. Hallelujah, Lord. I love you. Every curse is in the grave.